0: Sidewalk Audio and Patiobooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenehan. Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter twelve The Turlow The aforementioned second wave of pain hit me like a well swung mace. I closed my eyes and I laid back down. The pain was lessened only by the revelation that Essa wasn't engaged. I squeezed her hand and she returned the gesture. This time I slowly opened my eyes, but as the world became less fuzzy and "'Essa got increasingly uglier. "'When I finally came to my senses, "'I found myself holding hands with a raff.' "'Who told you I was engaged?' the imp demanded. "'I quickly retrieved my hand. "'Essa!' I croaked. "'Essa told you I was engaged?' "'No, Essa is engaged,' I said. "'I know Essa is engaged, "'but why is she going around telling people I am engaged?' I am a Prince of ore. A rumor like that can cause lots of trouble. My head hurt too much for this kind of confusion. No one said you were engaged, Araf. You said I was engaged. I didn't mean you. I thought you were Essa. You think I look like Essa? Araf looked concerned. I'll go get a healer. I dropped my head back on a pillow and covered my eyes. Maybe you should get a healer. I need something for my head. There is something on the bedside table there. I sat up and knocked back a thimbleful of liquid from a silver shot glass. I'm sure my face went as red as the inside of a thermometer, and as it returned to normal color, my headaches subsided. When I could breathe again, I said, You knew Esso was engaged? Well, yes, everyone knows that. Jared announced it about two weeks ago. He sent all of the Rune Lords a cask of special wine. It was a lovely red. The bouquet had the slightest hint of. Why didn't you tell me? I interrupted. I assumed since you left that you had no interest in Essa. Well, you assumed wrong, I said as I slowly sat up and put my feet on the floor. But wasn't Essa interested in you by the end of your last visit? She was. And you left her? Yes, I said, feeling the pain in my head start to return. This is not a good thing, the imp said in an ominous tone. Why? I have known Essa a long time, my friend. She is not the forgiving type. Mom had apparently administered first aid and chewed out Essa for trying to take my head off. You know how Mom gets when somebody attacks her little bear cub. She also gave me some sort of meds that knocked me out for a whole night. So I was surprised when morning sunshine blinded me as I opened the door. Am in the Hazellands was a busy place. Imps and leprechauns were clearing away rubble and rebuilding walls, while others were drilling or practicing archery with Spidog. I've started to realize that a raff only gets chatty when he's nervous or really happy. This morning he was still euphoric about his time with his fellow farmer imps in the field. So I pretended to be interested and asked him about his day digging in dirt. That kept him talking till we got our food and found a quiet table in the canteen. "'So who is he?' I asked. "'Who?' "'You know who, the banshee that's engaged to Essa.' "'He is Turlo,' Raff said. "'So who is he, then?' "'He's Turlo.' "'What does that mean?' "'He is... The Turlough. Araf, it doesn't matter how many different articles you use before saying Turlough. It doesn't explain anything. Have you never heard the story of Aru and her sisters? A spark flickered in my deep memory. Dad told me something about this when we were in the Rowan Forest, but there was so much going on, and there's so much to remember. Remind me. Araf sighed like I was a schoolboy that hadn't done his homework. Aru was the first. She discovered the land. She either found or created the first oak, and maybe did the same for the leprechauns. Then she sent for her two sisters, Banba and Fodla. Fodla, Araf said as he touched his forehead in a semi-religious gesture, created or found the imps and the orchard lands. What does this have to do with Turlo? Turlo? Banba was different from her sisters, darker. She created, or depending on what you believe, found the eulands Then she traveled to the other world, killed the Banshee King, and convinced his son Turlo to come with her to defend Tirnanog's shores. That is how the Banshees came to the land. Are you saying this guy is that Turlo? No. Turlough is the name passed down from father to son. This Turlough is said to be the direct descendant of the original Turlough. He is the Turlough. It is his name and his title. So am I supposed to be impressed? It is very impressive. Did you hear him keep calling Essa princess? Essa is a princess, Araf said, looking confused. Yeah, but it's the way he said it. And now that I think of it, he called me a fairy. A buzz started on the other side of the room that caused me to turn. Mom and Dahi had just entered and were making a bee line to our table. A stood, so I did too. Mom gave me a hug and asked after my head. I'm fine, thanks. Are you sure? She held my face in both of her hands and looked deep into my eyes. I'm sure, Mom. Good, because we have work to do. The next couple of days were exhausting. The land is a magnificent and beautiful place, but it is seldom restful. I spent the next couple of days equally spacing out my time between rebuilding walls, training recruits in sword fighting, and most taxing of all, reading and filing old manuscripts read with Mom's magic paperclip. I tried to convince Mom that there was probably Hell, definitely. A million people more qualified to sort through ancient Gaelic books than me. But she said, If the gods will give us a way to cure your father, then I am betting on you to find it. There were only two of Mom's amber reader thingies, so ten of us rotated in 24-hour shifts. It meant that I did four hours reading every 24 hours, resulting in my first stint getting four hours later every day. My first couple of shifts were mostly spent trying to get my written Gaelic back up to speed. Dad had made me learn how to read, write, and conjugate Old Gaelic, but it wasn't the language I read my comic books in. And the stuff I was reading could hardly be called page-turners. My first thrilling shadow book was a contract and shipping manifest between the elves and the Vineland's. It took me all four hours to figure out that it was a barter agreement where the elves would provide wood for barrels and Fingal, who was S's grandfather, would pay in wine. From the amount of wine, it seemed to me that the timber industry was pretty lucrative business. I guess it's hard work when you have to ask permission from a tree if you want to cut it down. I had an image of an elf kneeling in front of a tree with an axe saying, "'Please, I'm desperate for a drink.'" When I finally figured out that the piece of parchment I was studying didn't contain anything that would help us with Dad's condition, I would place it in an envelope and label it so that in the future it could be transcribed into a new book. Not a job I would be volunteering for. It wasn't just grammar that was proving to be taxing, but the actual reading of a shadow book required immense concentration. The paperclip thingy sensed the page you were looking at, as long as you were focused, but if you were reading, say, a scintillating essay on seed germination, and you happen to let your mind wander, the page you were reading would fade into all of the other pages in the book, producing thousands of words on one page. Since there was no way to find your way back to the page you were reading, you would have to go back to the beginning. After my first session, I staggered back to my tent and blissfully closed the eyes that I had been afraid to even blink for the last four hours. Not even the blinding headache could keep me from falling asleep, but... I didn't nap long. Dahi woke me and, despite my protests, dragged me out to the training field and put me in charge of teaching sword fighting to a group of helpless recruits. As soon as the old man was out of sight, I told my charges to take the rest of the day off and I crawled back to bed. The next day, Dahi warned me that if I did that again, I would be cleaning latrines and I had a suspicion he meant it. My second reading session started, promisingly enough, when I found what I thought was going to be an interesting essay on banta stick manufacture. After I don't know how many pages, I figured out I could have easily condensed this into one sentence without losing anything. Get some good wood and make a stick out of it. By the end of that day, my head hurt worse than when Essa hit me with one of those sticks. I periodically saw Essa, but we didn't speak to each other. I was desperate for some alone time with her, but... I was so busy, and when I wasn't busy, I was exhausted. When I did see her, she was always with the turlow. The closest I got was an uncomfortable lunch, where the royal couple sat behind me at a table just within hearing distance. I couldn't make out much, but every time I heard him say, Princess, I felt like returning my lunch back to my plate. After about a week's worth of reading sessions, I was starting to believe that 99% of the books that were in the old library were about farming. I plowed through endless manuscripts explaining crop rotation, plow manufacture, planting timetables, and even one about delineating soil types by taste. I filed that under the heading of Eating Dirt. I got mildly excited when I found a scrap entitled Leprechaun Genealogy, but it was literally just a list of names. I filed that as a short history of short people. I started screening my reading material so as to keep my sanity. I'm sure a RAF would find a paper on planting row orientation according to crop and season fascinating, but it just made me want to hold my breath and bang my head against the floor. When no one was looking, I scanned my manuscripts for key terms. I'd clip the reader on a sliver of paper, and if I saw words like seed or soil or yield, I would slip that piece under the bottom of the pile. I prayed to the gods that I wouldn't still be doing this by the time we got back down to that fragment again. The reading eventually got easier, partly because I got better at it, but mostly because Mom invented a shadow bookmark that held your page if your mind wandered. But it was the sword fight teaching that became the highlight of my day. In the beginning, my students were pretty much in awe of me, even after seeing me get popped in the temple by Essa. They all wanted to know about the Battle of the Twins of Maka and how I chopped Kilti's hand off and the Army of the Red Hand and what the real world was like. I spent a lot of the first couple of days just talking to them, especially when Dahi wasn't around, but I really started to get into teaching. A lot of these kids were just bad, so I had to reach back into my memories to the basics that Dad had taught me when I was a kid back when I thought it was really cool being taught sword fighting, as opposed to when I was a teenager and thought Dad was a borderline lunatic. I found that the nice thing about teaching is it makes you realize that a lot of the stuff you think you do by instinct and without thinking is actually well-honed skill. Dishing all the stuff out to eager students who were improving made me appreciate my father even more and gave me strength when I had to go back to the reading sessions. I was usually so tired at night that I didn't have the energy to kick Brendan out of my tent, so we became roommates. He spent most of his days under the tutelage of Spidog. When no one else but me could hear, he made fun of his master's mystical ravings. But he listened and adopted every drop of archery advice he was given. When he wasn't talking about arrows and trajectories or how sore his arms and fingers were, he quizzed me on the progress of finding a cure for a He never talked about his daughter. I suspected that the reason he had thrown himself so fully into training was to give himself something else to think about. Mom gently shook me awake at four in the morning. It was my shift in the reading room. Since Mom had the stint before me, we saw each other every day at changeover. We didn't say much. I didn't ask her if she found anything, because I knew if she did, she would tell me. She looked tired as she handed me an envelope that had my handwriting on it. Inside it was a fragment of a document I had read the night before about the cross-pollination of grape plants. I had entitled it, Everything Will Be Vine in the Morning. Is that a joke? she asked. Well, it was supposed to be, but obviously it didn't work on you. She gave me that patronizing mom look. "'Sorry, Mom, I'm just trying to keep my sanity in there.' "'I know, son,' she said, cupping my cheek in her palm. "'Just have a little thought of the poor people "'who are going to have to sort out this paperwork after us.' "'Okay,' I said, kissing her on the cheek. "'Get some rest. You look beat.' "'It was still dark when Mom and I got outside. "'The November air stung my cheeks as I walked her back to her tent.' She promised me that she would sleep and not sit up all night working and worrying. Then I turned and took a deep, cold breath and steeled myself for an early morning adventure in dull literature. It was as bad as being back at school. Worse, actually. I didn't have Sally's notes to borrow here. As I groped in the darkness towards the always-lit reading room, a flicker of light caught my eye. As I got closer, I saw the unmistakable glow of laprog light. My heart skipped a beat as I saw the only girl I know who travels with a firefly. As she heard me approach, she cupped the bug in her hand, but when she recognized me, she opened her fingers and bathed her face in light. Wow, Essa is beautiful in any light, but she is really made for firefly light. What are you doing up? She said, breaking the magical moment that was obviously playing out only in my head. I'm off to do my shift in the reading room. What are you doing up? Is the Turdlow snoring? It's Turlow, she said, and you only have to call him the Turlow at official functions. Like your wedding? Well, yes. So, I asked, are you really going to spend a lifetime with a snorer? You would think with all the magical healing stuff around here that they could cure that, and you wouldn't have to be roaming around all night. I'm not awake because of him. I'm not sleeping with him, and he's not a snorer. She was getting more flustered with every word. You're not sleeping with him. Why not? Oh, is he diseased? These royal weddings can be so treacherous. Essa threw both of her hands in the air. Why did you have to come back? She hissed. And stormed off, leaving her firefly fluttering around confused. I whispered, Laprock, and it tentatively came and sat in the palm of my hand as quietly, in the darkness, I answered Essa's question. I came back for you. I bounced into the reading room with the echo of Essa saying, I'm not sleeping with him, rolling around in my head. It wasn't until I placed the first piece of parchment into the shadow reader that my spirits dipped. The shadow book was a collection of leprechaun poetry. I had to stick that back into the pile. There was no way I was going to sift through poetry at this hour of the morning. The next piece caught my eye because it was short, and it had two names I recognized on it. It was a letter— from Spidog to Dahi, describing the last battle of Maeve's army in the Feely War. Apparently, the forces of the Houses of Dor were seriously getting their butts kicked by Maeve and the Feely. The shadow magic stuff was completely unknown to them, and they had found it impossible to defend against. After Maeve issued an ultimatum to Finn, that he refused, the Feely regrouped into one giant battalion with Mave in the center. Using several barrels of tree sap, the feely queen conjured up some sort of spell. Everyone watching it could feel the power of it building in the air, and then, with a large flash of light that seemed to implode without a sound, the feely were gone. I always thought the feely were killed, but they just vanished. They left behind their clothes, weapons, and every other earthly possession. But the feely themselves had just disappeared. Spidog finished by writing, It was a blessing for the land, my friend, but a personal disappointment for me. I would have liked to have taken a few feely down with me before I died in battle. I could see now why my grandfather Finn had forbidden shadow magic. It had caused much hardship. Now, ironically, it was the only thing keeping my father alive. The next slip of paper grabbed my attention. It was a thesis on sword parries and counterattacks. I knew I would find it interesting and possibly very useful for my students, but it wasn't going to get my dad healthy, so I skimmed it and stuffed it into an envelope. I wondered when I would have the leisure time to come back later and read it properly. With a little over an hour to go, I found something else. I was pretty sure it had nothing in it that would help Dad, but there was no way I was going to skip it. It was entitled, Banba and the Turlough. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, Book One of the Series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.